Next up, we have the awesome Jeff Smith, CEO of Smule. So hi, I'm Jeff, co-founder, CEO of Smule. Up until this month, we've been located in Second and Townsend in San Francisco. But like Brian, we've decided to move our offices to Hawaii. So stay tuned. We'll give you our new address. We just want to find out exactly where Brian's located. And then, and then we'll lock her in. And uh, hopefully some of our employees will come and move with us. I expect our productivity may not be the same. But we're going to give it a whirl. It's something that we need to do. I don't exactly know how this topic got pitched. Maybe our press team pitched it. But I actually spent this weekend thinking about it and trying to come up with some creative ideas that might be interesting for some of you who are building music tech companies or others of you who are on the periphery. So hopefully this isn't a complete colossal waste of time. I, the point is, is that if I face plant, it wasn't for lack of effort. I really did try. So fans, who doesn't, who doesn't love fans? Who doesn't need fans? You know, we just looked at um, Ethan's company and, and the role of fans and how they're embracing artists. Here's Beeb in the early days before he cut his hair. And by the way, why did he cut his hair? But anyway, the hair got cut, other things changed, but we all love fans. I love fans. And increasingly in today's business models, we depend on fans. Fans are, are fundamental uh, to monetization, certainly, to helping recruit other fans. In fact, at Smule, we do this all the time. We just cut a video last week, which is all about our community in action using our products. So I'll just share this with you. Then a zero sum game now And baby, we both know That's not how it's supposed to be Even if it's the last thing That we do together So fans recruiting fans It's an important component of a lot of our businesses But fans also help retain fans in fact, if you look at social engagement, this correlates most strongly with long-term retention. If I can do something on my network with my community and somebody responds to that, so they comment on it, they join me in a song, they follow me, my retention actually is five times higher than somebody who did not have that level of social engagement, that social join. So the correlation between social engagement and retention is profound. And of course, a lot of what we're trying to do with these businesses is keep keep our community around longer, keep our users, our fans around longer. So fans are pretty critical to our businesses today. It's not just those that are monetizing, it's those that are helping us market, it's helping those that are helping us retain. So maybe we could take a step back though and first ask this question, who is a fan? Because I think sometimes in this uh, era of online gaming and online businesses, we get a little carried away with these terms, fans and communities. And the question is, do we really have fans? <laughs> Artists do. No doubt, but what about the rest of us? So is a fan a customer? Is it a user? Is it a player? Is it a member of a community? I don't think so. I think a fan is first an enthusiastic admirer, an advocate, so somebody who would help recruit or engage. And then it's the third point that I want to drill down on. As we think about for our businesses, well, how do we go about identifying fans, recruiting them into our communities, 
And how do we then go about motivating them potentially to recruit other fans or engage our existing fans? And so it's third point that I think ends up becoming fairly central to that thesis, and that third point being a fan is one who expresses identity, often with others, through a particular person or thing. So there's this notion of identity, association, projection, and perhaps in scale. So let's think about some examples of that. I shot this video on the corner of Hollywood and Vine in LA with my mobile phone. It was a very hot day. And if you could see the guy there carrying the crucifix down the street, I'm arguing he's a fan. I think he's a big fan. I think he's out there recruiting other fans. Right? And so we could think about religion in the context of fans. And it certainly meets the definition I put on the table here. That person has their identity asserted through this brand or this institution, this religion, this ideology. Now fortunately, <coughs> the, the crucifix had, had wills. It was a very hot day. So that's one example. What about brands? Do brands have fans? Uh, I think Ferrari does. What about Clorox? So do any of you have a Clorox bumper sticker on your car? Okay, it's 99.9% germ-free. My little sister worked there for a while. She worked on that part, point. It's a big deal. But it's an important brand, but I don't, I'm not sure we have fans for Clorox. Now, in contrast, I do think we have fans for Apple. So there's your Apple bumper sticker. Here's another one. Here's another one. This is a cute one, family. Ah, Apple also has anti-fans. So it's interesting because if, if your brand or your product or your artist has fans, if there is that unique identification, then it can be polarizing. And that actually is almost a testament to the strength of the brand or the fact that you have fans. In other words, if there wasn't that identification, you couldn't have the anti-identification either, right? So, candidates have fans. Here's an Obama sticker on a Prius. Notice also it's a Prius, it's an Obama sticker, and you got the custom license plate Miramax, right? So there's identity assertion that's going on with, uh, with this fan of Obama. Oh, here's my favorite. You got Obama, you got the Prius, and you got the Apple. Now look how carefully they place the Apple. I'm going to venture out, and I'm going to tell you this person's room is clean. Question for you, is this fan a Democrat? <laughs> Possibly. Of course, there are anti-fans. And Obama is one of those guys that can be polarizing, which again, it suggests he has a strong brand or something with, that you can identify with, right? That you can project your identity through him or define your identity against it. Um, by the way, how many of you seen a Romney sticker on a Prius in San Francisco? How about a Romney sticker on a Prius anywhere? I haven't. All right. What about music? Well, music's pretty awesome because music is really the place where we've defined fans. Why is that? Why are artists known for having so many fans? They do. And you can buy all of their stuff on Ethan's company, which would be great. <laughs> well, it's unique because if you go back to that third definition, asserting identity, and a, through association. Well, artists, not only do they have identity that we can go and track and love, 
but they're also creating this content, this musical content that expresses who they are. So there's this notion of creative expression through music, which also gives you this source of identification, of affiliation, of understanding. And that ends up becoming a profound connection between you and the artist. It's through their music. And so I'm making a point here that one of the reasons why artists have such prolific fan bases is because they're creative and because they express things creatively through music. And through that, this content they've created, this becomes a bridge, a conduit through which we identify with them and then assert them as part of our identities. I try not to get too esoteric here, and I'm not claiming I'm this expert on this, but I did try to at least think about this and think about it at least in the context of our business as well. But before we jump into that, so here's a question for you. Do games have fans, like baseball games? And I think the answer is no. I think teams have fans. I think the San Francisco Giants have fans. But I'm not sure the game of baseball itself has fans. There are some that like to track the stats and love the game and follow the game, but there's disproportionately more people that are following teams that have a particular player's number on, on, the on their back during the day. And so why are these people becoming fans of baseball? I do think it comes back to this notion of asserting identity through something else. So my identity is partly associated with the San Francisco Giants cap I have on. Now, there are other reasons why I think these fans become fans of baseball. Um, one of them seems to be drinking socially. So teams have fans. What about online games? I don't mean to be controversial here. My opinion, games don't have fans. I think games have users. <coughs> But by the definition I put out, I don't think they have fans. Okay, so then you can say, are there social games? Of course there are. Do those users help recruit other users? Back to that definition. Yeah, but is that behavior intrinsic? I don't think so. I think that behavior is incented. Like, here's an example of a Candy Crush Saga post on your Facebook page. How many of you love getting these? How many of you think that you got it because your friend really wants you to play the game with them versus... The friend was trying to earn some extra points so he could get to the next level in Candy Crush. So I think we assume it's a little disingenuous right now when these folks using games are trying to ask us to come in and play the game with them. And I think that's one of the reasons why this method of recruiting is no longer as effective as it once was. And it comes back to this point of, is that behavior intrinsic to that user? Is that user truly a fan? I don't think they are. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that going back to the mo notion of music and artists, how do you assert identity through a game? The fact is, most of us who are playing games are asserting a different identity, not our real one. <laughs> and are we really proud of that other identity? <laughs> do we want everybody to know about this second identity I have where I'm going off and hiding and playing the game? Maybe not. But the other question is, are games expressive? Is there something unique about the game that I can identify with and then assert as part of my own creative expression? And the answer is often not. Now, it isn't to say that the farm I create in Farmville isn't creative or expressive. It is. But it's not like you're going to want to spend your day looking through all the farms that everybody else has created. Right? And, and is it truly representative of who I am, the fact that I put strawberries over here and peaches over there? I'm not so sure. Now, WoW is, is I think, a creative game. The characters I'm building. Even so, how much is my own identity asserted through that outside of the game? So there's not a hard and fast rule that says, okay, it's not possible for games to have fans, but I'm suggesting that, in, in fact, games mostly have users, and we're trying to make them behave like fans through these artificial means that are often 
temporarily effective, but over time become less effective. What about music? Well, at our company, we are trying to enable creative expression. We're building these musical applications on mobile devices. We're building a network that allow people to create real music, not fake music. And we want them to be expressive. And we feel like unless they're expressive, we're not achieving our vision. But we're also not developing a notion of a fan, a base of users. Because absent that creative expression, we think there's no means for people to assert identity. So the conundrum we face, the challenge we face when we're building products is we have these two opposing goals. On the one hand, we do want to open it up. We don't want to too prescribe, prescribe. We want people to be creative. We want them to create their own content. On the other hand, we want the products to be accessible to everyone. Our Magic Piano, we want three-year-olds to be able to play it. We have autistic kids playing our Magic Piano product. But the thing is, even with our Magic Piano product, it is expressive. <laughs> it's not a Steinway. If you want a Steinway, go buy a Steinway. But it is expressive in that we allow the user to control time. And because they control time, every performance is unique. And in fact, I've compared um, tens of millions of performances of our tutorial song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. No two are the same. Because everybody is subtly different in how they approach time. Some people profoundly different in how much time they take at a phrase boundary, how much time they take at a cadence, how much time when they're ascending a melodic arc or descending a melodic arc. But all of this leads to expressivity. Now, not all of our products are equally expressive, but I'd offer one of the challenges that we as an industry in music application and music product development is that we err on one or the other extremes of, of how we're approaching our products. Either we try to make it so expressive that we're limiting the access to that to only those that have graduate degrees from Juilliard, or we're making it so accessible that it's so brain-dead simple that there's nothing expressive that's being produced by the product. Threading the needle isn't so easy, but I think threading the needle is how you could potentially cultivate fans because now they are creating unique content and through that, asserting identity becoming fans. So on our network, we have 200 million people have downloaded our products. On a typical day, we have 3 million people singing or performing songs. On a typical day, those users are generating and uploading a terabyte and a half of content that they're creating. So these are songs they're singing. These are songs they're playing, songs they're rapping. Um, and that's, that's fundamental to how we scale our business. It's that content. It's that, that output of these products that have enabled creative expression that have therefore facilitated the creation of fans that can then recruit and engage other fans. So let me try to give you one or two examples of our products in action. Here's a, a song that started on the West Coast is a guitar cover of a Taylor Swift song and then somebody over on the East Coast joined it. One of the things our network does is allows participation. So it's not like I publish it and then everybody subscribes to the content. These songs evolve, they're dynamic, as other people are joining the songs and we're seeing new songs created. So there's no sort of a, a join mechanic that's enabled on our network. So here's two people that didn't know each other that have created a song together. there was I thought it was expressive and that's one of the reasons why I follow that that 19 year old aspiring artist in New York I'll, I don't know her 
Um, I think she's trying to start a career in music and acting. She has an, she has an en enchanting voice, and I have her on my playlist, and I like to follow her. So I am her fan, and I've discovered her through the creative expression um, that she's um, developed on our network. So we upped the ante recently. We went beyond just people's songs, joining songs, and literally last Thursday, we turn on video. So not only could you join somebody's song with audio, you could do it with video as well. But the trick is, is that we didn't want you to have to be in the same room with the person with whom you're cr um, creating a video. We wanted that social engagement to happen automatically in the cloud. So you can create a video of you singing a song, push it up, anybody you can find on network, join your video, and then we'll mix it. And we'll create this joint video and then distribute it back down with the two or more of you. Um, so here's, here's something that literally hit this morning. I don't know if you guys follow the Gregory Brothers on YouTube, but they put up a, a cover of a song, and here's a duet. They've already had literally 200 duets join the video. Here's a duet between Evan Gregory and one of his new fans, I guess, or his new uh, playing partners, uh, somebody who is over in uh, Korea, I believe. No, Taiwan. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. Yeah, it's pretty clear, I ain't no size two. Uh, but I can shake it, shake it, like I'm supposed to do. Uh, Cause I got that boom, boom that all the boys chase. In all the right junk, in all the right places. Yeah, so these two, these folks will probably never meet each other. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, they'll probably never meet each other. But yet now we have this video fusing the two of them together. And by the way, we're detecting who's singing based on mic volume input and then automatically managing the transitions to either feature who's singing now or if they're both singing together. And we're going to go to town on trying to make that more seamless, more fun, and also allow groups to have videos created together. But back to this point of what is a fan and its relationship to identity, in our case, asserted through creative expression, you can imagine how important video is to our network because now it ups the ante of what's possible in identity assertion, in creative expression, and therefore, I think, facilitating fans. Fans coming into the network, joining fans. By the way, it wasn't a cakewalk enabling that, um, we found, uh, we have about 200 servers at a data center here in San Francisco. We found that the video rendering performance of these $3,000 boxes was, was horrific. We went off and tested the Mac Minis. It turned out they were superb. Now, I don't think that Apple designed the Mac Mini to be running in mass in a data center rendering video, but in fact, that is what we're doing now to support our video release. And we got a lot of Mac Minis. We're up to 40 of them. And it's growing. It's not a bad box at all. In price performance, you honestly can't beat it. Um, but this metric, what we're tracking of people creating content, it's fundamental. And so here I'm actually opening up and sharing you one of our social KPIs to tell you what percentage of the members of our community are uploading content and then how much content each member of the community on average is uploading. And you can see in this chart with Sing, this is real data, um, we were at about 15% of our community uploading content, so that's not singing. Most people are singing or creating songs, but how many of them are actually pushing it up and sharing it with others? And that was about 15% six months ago, and we've been able to lift that to about 30% in this most recent release. It's something that we work on every day. Anyway, that's all for my remarks, but to, just to summarize, I think fans and users aren't the same. I think attracting fans requires the assertion of identity, in our case, through creative expression. And for us, 
the output of that expression is content, which then serves as a bridge, enabling us to recruit new fans through that content, but also allowing those fans to engage with each other and driving deeper retention. So I hope this is helpful. I hope you <coughs> have a great day at SF Music Tech and come visit us in Hawaii after we move. Thank you so much, Jess Smith. How many people in the room have used Smule's apps? Awesome. You are in good company because over 125 million 